Good morning, church. It is such a privilege to be here. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to preach a message and I named it Saying Yes. And it really encourages us to say yes to God, no matter what the cost. The funny thing was, the next morning when I woke up, I woke up with this terrible weight on my chest. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, Lord, I should have said this better. I should have done that better. And as I wrestled with myself, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me in a sweet, still voice, Yijia, what was your message? <laughs> Did I call you to perfection or obedience? And this week, as I was preparing for this message, I felt the Lord tell me to preach about two copper coins. And during the course of the week, Pastor Lip knows, I was confronted by people who questioned if I was qualified to speak at a Sunday service because of my age, my gender, and what I've been through. And I'm be honest with you, I was discouraged. I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, Lord, do I really have anything to offer? And guess what? I felt the Holy Spirit ask me again, he asked the same question. What is the title of your message? <laughs> and I'm so grateful. I told the Lord, it's two copper coins. And so this morning, I pray that this will be a sweet offering to the Lord and that it will encourage your hearts. I want to preach on Mark 12. Verse 41 to 44, and this talks about the widow's offering. Many of you know this story already. And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And it's amazing, I think, uh, how this poor widow came. Because if I were her, I would think to myself, oh, it's so embarrassing to show up with just two copper coins. And obviously people could see that she was giving two copper coins. If not, Jesus wouldn't have seen it. And if I were her, I would think to myself, maybe if I saved up a bit more and I showed up, that would be better. But no, she came with what she had. And interestingly, it says here, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything, all that she had to live on. So friends, this morning, I want to encourage us to think, what are our two copper coins this morning that we have to give to the Lord? And as I share, I want to share two stories, one from the field and one much closer to home. Many of you know this. A couple of years ago, Cliff and I, we went together to Uganda to serve in the field. And I remember the one overwhelming, resounding narrative that was told to me before I left was, Waisha, are you sure you want to go now? This is the wrong time to go. This is the time where all your peers, they are moving up the ladder, the corporate ladder. This is the time, this is the year, in fact, where everyone is applying for specialties. And if you go now, you will regret it because it will set you back so many steps. And this is the year where people get raises, they get promotions. This is the year where your designation will be changed. And I thought to myself, 
what should I do? And the same message kept repeating in my head over and over again, which was, you're not qualified enough. What if you stayed back? What if you, you know, pursued residency? What if you became the surgeon that you wanted to be? Then go. That was what so many people were telling me. And while I was in Uganda, I was sitting in a clinic by a big African you know, specialist doctor. I was there trying to sh shadow him, learning about the local conditions. And I remember halfway seeing, through, seeing patients, I was sitting just at the corner, and he turned to me with his big, deep voice, his very broad, coarse features. And he said, Are you just a doctor? And I turned around and I said, Yeah. <laughs> and he said, you should have come when you had more qualifications. Then you would be more useful. That afternoon, I left his clinic early and I wept all the way home. That evening, I wept and I wept. And the following evenings, I continued to weep and I told the Lord, this has all been a big mistake. I should not have come. The weeks passed and we did simple things. This is a picture of uh, one of the little cornerstone churches. Back then, it had, back then it had muddy floors. The walls were, you know, canvas, this plastic canvas, wooden rods and a tin roof. And week after week, we would spend time with the women and they would lead this sewing class. Um, they would, you know, we would teach each other math and how to save simple things. And one day, one of the ladies, the village ladies, she came running to me and she said, Dr. Y, Dr. Y. And she was really excited, but I couldn't understand anything she was saying. So she got her husband to translate and she said, Dr. Y, I have something to tell you. I had a dream of you. And her husband translated and said, this is Viola's dream. And they gave me permission to share and also their photos. They said, this is the dream. I dreamt that I was pregnant and I had a baby and the baby was going to come out. But you were there and you pushed the baby back in because it was not time for the baby to be, be delivered. But then the baby slipped out again and I was in trouble. But then there you were again and behind you stood a man with a face so white and bright, all dressed in white. And together with you, he pushed the baby back into me with you and baby and I were safe. I don't know about you, but even now, I'm getting goosebumps saying this story. And back at the time when she told me this, I was like, oh. A couple weeks later, she came to me and her husband told me, Dr. Y, Dr. Y, Pastor Cliff, both of you must pray for us. Terrible witchcraft in our community. Terrible. And they said, you know, my wife, when she lies down in bed, she has this terrible fire in her chest. And I look at them and my medical mind comes back and I think to myself, hmm, childbearing age, heartburn. I think you might be pregnant. <laughs> so I said, would you like to do a pregnancy test? But we also prayed for them. We were also spiritual. We also did a spiritual thing. We prayed for them. I told, sent her back to do a pregnancy test. The next week she came, Doctor, why? I'm pregnant. She's super happy. But then the dream comes back to my mind and I think to myself, Oh my goodness, I hope I'm back in Singapore by the time she delivers a baby. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this drama. Nine months swoosh pass and her baby is delivered. I'm so relieved. I'm happier than them. I'm like, yes. 
But the next day, Victor, her husband, calls me. And this time, he's very distraught. He calls me. He's crying over the phone. And he says, Dr. Y, Viola is in trouble. My baby is turning blue. There is nobody to help us. You are a doctor. Can you help us? And he was crying. And I held the phone. And I listened to him. And the words that came out of my mouth were, Victor, I'm so sorry. I am not a baby specialist. There is nothing I can do. And as soon as I put the phone down, I crumpled onto the ground. And I told the Lord, this has all been a big mistake. As I sat there and I, and I sat there, feeling so helpless, my husband Cliff, the all-wise, wonderful husband that he is, he came over and he said, Waija, do you remember the dream? Surely that means something. And that gave me the courage to pray. I got up on my feet, I started to pray, I started to pray in tongues, I started to ask God, what is my role in this? And suddenly the fog in my mind clears and there is clarity. I decide to call Victor and I say, Victor, what you need is an ambulance to go to somewhere that can help you with the facilities. And he's so happy, but he's so sad at the same time. He says, Dr. Y, we, we are in grade B hospital. There is an ambulance, but there is no oxygen in the ambulance. And when he said grade B hospital, I was like, okay. Now, grade B hospital is really grade B hospital <laughs> because it's a large red building with lots of rooms and lots of metal trolleys that act as beds. There are no mattresses. There are hardly any doctors. When I went there, there were hardly any nurses, no signages. <laughs> And so I said, okay, Victor, don't worry, just stay calm, I will help you. So I start calling all these ambulance numbers. I run, you know, outside of our home, which is actually atop this little HIV center compound. We stay there and I run to the pharmacy and I say, do you have, a, do you have an ambulance? And they say, yes, we have ambulances, but they all have no oxygen. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I start calling and I call and I call. And finally, I find a number with an ambulance with oxygen, yes! But then they tell me, you must pay with mobile money. If not, we will not send the ambulance out. And I'm like, huh? What's mobile money? I don't know. <laughs> so my husband, Cliff, he, we have this little 20-year-old tin can of a, of a car, which has broken down four times, and we have punctured the tire four times also with all the bumpy roads in Africa. And he steps on the gas, and we go down the hill, down this bumpy red dirt hill, and down below the hill, we go there because I remember that on these red dirt roads are lots of these little wooden shacks with tin roofs. And I remember whenever we drove past, there would this, be these big wooden signboards with handwritten painted words, mobile money. I said, I don't know what it is, but I will go figure it out. So he drives down, we step on the gas, there's traffic, we close the, close the door of the car, we both run out, and I run to the first shack. I said, do you have mobile money? I need, I need this. And he said, yes, we have mobile money, but it's not working today. Okay, never mind. They say, go to the next one. So I run and run and run. And I go to the next hut. And they say, we have mobile money, but the amount you want to transfer is too big. Not enough credit. <sighs> okay, 
Finally, they said, there is one more down the street. Just go over there. So I run and I run and I, run, and I finally go there and they say, yes, we have mobile money and we can help you. And so we say, yes, but you imagine the commotion. We're like two headless chickens, two foreigners running in these dirt roads. Everyone is shouting, Muzungu, Muzungu. It is a big commotion, trust me. We finally get the, the ambulance with oxygen and within minutes, within the hour, we hear the blare of an ambulance going down the street and we know that is Victor and Viola and their baby. And we say, Lord, thank you. A few days later, they were discharged. We visited them at the hospital and their baby was safe and sound. And what the Lord taught me was this. He doesn't require our qualifications. What He requires is our availability. And I thought to myself, what if I had had a PhD? Or if I were a baby specialist? Or if I had some master's degree? Would any of that have helped? Because I had texted all my colleagues back home, what should I do? What should I do? And they said, you order this scan, you order this blood test. But the fact of the matter was, Great B Hospital couldn't support any of that. And what this tells me is that the Lord is not looking for qualified people as much as He is looking for vessels who want to be His hands and feet. And so today, if that is you, if you think to yourself, Lord, I am not good enough, if you carry this burden of inadequacy, know this, that you are not alone and the Lord is mindful of that. The Lord is not looking for great vessels. He is looking for broken ones those who are eager to be refashioned in His hands. Today, Divine is older. She's a toddler. Actually, she's older than this now. And she has a little sister called Delight. I just love African names, don't you? I want to share a second story much closer to home. All of you knew what happened last year when the outbreak in the migrant worker dormitories broke out. When that happened, I turned to my husband, Cliff, and I told him this. I said, Cliff, do you think it's going to get so bad that they're going to call doctors like me back to the front lines? And Cliff is a very wise man. He looked at me. This was very early, back in the pandemic, very early on. And he said, Waija, you better get ready because the time is coming. And I said, no, you don't understand, Cliff. I can't go back. Now, many of you don't know this, even though I am a doctor, I have been out of clinical work for seven years. And the tragic thing that happened was this. I believed falsely that I had harmed a patient. I believed falsely that it was my responsibility. And because of that, I took a six-month break. I went to do public health and I fell in love with public health. So I never went back to my, to my dream of pursuing surgery. And I knew that public health was where the Lord had called me to. But the fact was this, I had been out of clinical work for seven years. I told Cliff, you don't understand. I have forgotten how to see a patient. I can't go back to the front lines. I might hurt someone. And I said, I'm also breastfeeding our baby. And you, you are immunocompromised. You have had a liver transplant, you're on immunosuppressants. I might pass it to you and you might die. And I tell you, this was back then when we didn't know how effective the personal protective equipment was. There were a lot of questions. This was very early on in the pandemic. And I tell you, Cliff, in Chinese, they say, 不怕死. 
if there ever was a queue or a lineup to die for the Lord for a righteous cause, he would be first in line. <laughs> so there he was telling me, Waija, it's your time to go back. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And during this time of wrestling with the Lord, I suffered a health complication. I needed to have fairly urgent surgery done. And while I was recovering at home, the Lord arrested me and He gripped me. And as I wrestled with Him, my prayer changed from, Lord, don't use me. There are a lot of other people there who are better than me, who are smarter than me, and who won't harm other people like I could. And that prayer changed into, God, if you want to send me, send me straight into the migrant worker dormitories. And back in those times, my colleagues all told me, unless you are part of some special deployment unit, all the dorms are now locked down. There's no way you can go in. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I am now willing, but I'm very scared. It was very symbolic. The day before Good Friday, the day before Good Friday, on the 9th of April, 2020, I received a call from the migrant worker NGO and they said, Waija, do you have access to the dorms? We need to go in to help. I said, no, I don't have. On the same afternoon, my mentor calls me and he says, Waija, my job scope has changed overnight. I now oversee all the community care facilities for COVID-19 positive migrant workers. And I also need to enter the dorms. I need NGO backup. Do you have any? On that day, two phone calls happened and I was right at the intersection of that. And I said, okay, you know what? Let me connect both of you in person tomorrow. I show up. This is how silly I was. <laughs> so I showed I'm thinking in my head, I'm just connecting you guys, right? Shake hand, okay, goodbye. Okay, maybe not shake hand, but um, we just say hello. I connect you guys. My time is going. So I actually show up in my exercise pants and my, my, my long exercise pants and my tank top. And when I go there, I am shocked to see a battalion of nurses and swap teams and mobile teams set up. And I'm like, okay. So I want to make my exit very quietly. And then my mentor turns around to me and says, Waijia, you and I are the only doctors here. This is your PPE. Put it on, we start seeing patients now. And I start to get a heart attack. I'm like, seriously? I put on my PPE and I'm like weeping right behind my goggles. It's, it keeps fogging up because I'm like crying behind and I'm like, Lord, I didn't know you would answer it today. <laughs> and the goggle marks are like just etched into my face. But at that time, what I realized was this. As the Lord called me back into the front line, He opened my eyes to the problems that were there firsthand. And this was the big problem, that migrant workers didn't know what was being communicated to them. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension. People just you know, couldn't understand all these evolving guidelines. And I thought to myself, what's really needed is multilingual communication to them. That's a health literate, multilingual, customized. And I saw this gap and the Lord revealed it to me. A few days later, my mentor texts me and he says, Why chat? Can you draw for me some cartoons? Make it into an orientation booklet for all these migrant workers who are going to be admitted into our community care facilities because they need to know what's going on. Translate them for me. Can you do that? And I remember I was in the lift. As I walked out, I was reading the text. And Cliff must have seen the change of countenance on my face because he asked, what's going on? And I tell him. And this time, 
I wasn't like, yes, I'll do it. I was like, seriously? Now I am puffed up. I want to go back and help in the front lines. I want to do clinical work. I've now got my Master's of Public Health from Johns Hopkins. Now I have my, you know, all these degrees and I can do more than this. What do you think I am? A cartoonist or what? I was angry. And this is how instrumental Cliff has been in my life. So if you ever get a side message, I see a, long, a few young ladies here, if you must marry, marry a wise man. And when you do, listen to him. Okay? So he said this, Wai Chia, look at today's devotional from Oswald Chambers. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9.10. And he said, this, my wife, is for you. <laughs> I said, okay. So day and night, I started to work at these, you know, health booklets. And Cliff took this of me secretly. And the health booklets became posters, the posters became workshops, the workshops became a digital health campaign. And before I knew it, I was being called by the World Health Organization Global Outbreak Alert Response Network chairperson. And he said, can we meet? And the first time we met, he said, are you the cartoonist? <laughs> and I was like, no, but yes, but no. <laughs> and he said, look, this is, he showed me this huge web diagram on Zoom. And he said, this is our national outbreak response. And this right here is risk communication and community engagement. And this is the gap that you fill. Join me. And I was so timid. And he said, I've got lined up for you a series of meetings with CEOs from all the different health clusters you are going to present. And before I knew it, I was presenting to the Geneva headquarters of the World Health Organization of our nationwide outbreak response in terms of health messaging to the workers. And as I stood there, I was sat there presenting, I thought to myself, this happened not because I was smart, not because I was qualified, not because even I had the degrees, but because God asked me to draw cartoons. And when I think about this, I think to myself, how many of us have let go of the opportunity to say yes to God because we thought our two copper coins were not enough? I think to myself, how many times have we taken that five loaves and two fishes and said, oh Lord, this is too embarrassing. I can't show it to you. But the Lord sees our offerings so differently. And I want to encourage you today that if you are struggling with this, with this burden, would you give it to the Lord? Would you tell Him, Lord, whatever I have is yours today. I want to end off with this, the rich in the kingdom of God. So you know this story, right? This, this rich young ruler comes and he says, Lord, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And the rich young ruler is so thrilled. He's like, yes, I've, I've ticked all these checkboxes. Now I can enter. But Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, everything you have, and then give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And then the rich young ruler went away sad 
because he could not. And I end on this note, because lest you think two copper coins are easy to give because they are just two copper coins. The Lord is not asking for just two copper coins. The Lord is asking for everything that you have, everything that you own, for something that He has called you to do. And many of us are thinking to ourselves, I can go back to my life, I'll go back to ministry, I'll go back to missions when the pandemic is over. It's like taking a deep gulp of air and just holding your breath until the pandemic is finished. But do you realise that the Lord is not calling you to wait till then? If the, if the poor widow was saving up and saving up and saving up, there would never be this story in the Bible left for all the years of people like us to read and to feast on this truth. And so this morning, if the Lord is beckoning you, you feel that there's this burden in your heart, remember this, God cherishes that we might have put in more than all the others when we give it with all our hearts. So today, I want to pray for all of us. Wherever you are, if you're seated, you're standing, you're at home, whatever it is, just put out your two hands as a symbolic act to tell the Lord, Lord, this is me. This is who I am. These are my qualifications, however small they are. And Father, you see these copper coins that are laid out before you. You see our hearts. And God, I just want to pray that even today, as we give you our two copper coins, would you see, would you see that it is enough? And just as how you turn five loaves and two fish into food for thousands, just as how you took the widow's oil and paid her debt, Lord, surely, our two copper coins can be more than what we dare dream or imagine when they are in your hands. So Father, we give you thanks and praise and all the glory. We give you everything today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.